and welcome to Masters of Divinity. Hold that dial. I am not JP, but I am your moderator for today. This is Father Fun. I'm in moderating today because it is Music Mayhem, and JP is the one who picked today's album. Uh, so I'm here with your regular mod crew, but I am the moderator today. So I'm going <laughs> to say hi to JP, Man of the Hour. How are you, sir? Hello, I, I'm JP, not your moderator today. I, I am the I am the album chooser. Have we have we covered have we covered that JP is not the moderator yet? I'm not sure. <laughs> We're gonna say it as many times as we can. Uh, Matt, welcome back. How are you, sir? I am doing wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. And JP is not the moderator today. Not the moderator. <laughs> not not the moderator today. Welcome. Father Chaz, how are you, sir? I'm well, and also not the moderator. I kind of, <laughs> for some reason, my mind went to. I was trying to think of a way to like work um, dinosaurs, not the mama, into this, but <laughs> not the Gotta moderator. Love me. love me. I don't. I don't know. So, I mean, got a new shirt from her uh, uh, grandmother this morning in the mail that said. Um, today I, I want to be a princess, and then it had princess crossed out, and it said dinosaur. And I was nice. Like, yes. so, today I want to be that. Why not both? You well, it dinosaur. is Masters of Divinity. Uh, we're all here. It's the last week of Music Mayhem. Officially last week of Music Mayhem, though, if you're listening to this, it's still June. But hey, Music Mayhem <laughs> is a season uh, and not a legalistic, uh, pharisaical tradition. Uh, we um, are here because JP has selected the album for today. And uh, so why don't you tell us what the album is and then tell us what your relationship is to the album. All right. So if you listen last week, I chose uh, The Color and the Shape by Foo Fighters. And that's color with a U. It's very important. Um, and my, uh, my relationship with the album, oh boy. Um, so the Foo Fighters aren't my favorite band. I made that decision uh, around the time I graduated high school. And uh, I have not strayed since then. Um, Had their second album dropped by the time you graduated in 2001? No, that was... Uh, well, this is actually their second album. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, the album that had to be by the time that I graduated was One by One. It's the one with the heart on the cover. That's actually a really good album, too. Uh, I listen to it a lot. Um, that's the one that has All My Life on it. All My Life, I've been searching for something, something never comes. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, okay, so my relationship with the album, you know, I've always, Foo Fighters has always been, like, ever since they released this album, like, in 98, they've always kind of been, like, in my life in some way when it comes to listening to the radio and stuff. They, they're always like in constant rotation whenever you listen to the radio. And um, I guess it started with My Hero, uh, which was a favorite song of mine before I even heard anything else on the album. And I was living in Orlando as a teenager. And um, the day became like one of my favorite songs was when um, I was pumping myself up to take my driver's license test. <laughs> And it ha I had downloaded it on Napster that day. And then I was <laughs> driving to, we were driving to the DMV and it came on the radio. I'm like, this means I'm going to pass. <laughs> and uh, so I pumped myself up. I got my driver's license. Good to go. 
Uh, Three weeks later, after he failed and had to retake it, I'm just kidding. That was me. <laughs> so not that was true. me actually. <laughs> um, and then uh, I would say in in high school, you know, Everlong was in constant rotation when I was a teenager, and um, I'm sure you guys know too. You listen to rock radio; it was always on. Um, and you know, it's funny. I didn't come to like really love. Everlong until I, I heard it about a billion times. <laughs> I kind of have like a personal attachment to it because it, it's something that always kind of came on the radio when I was hanging out with a, with a friend, a certain girl who was a friend. And so it, it, it definitely has that sort of kind of personal uh, attachment to me, for me. And, um, and I didn't actually like buy the album or listen to the album until I was in college. And um, it was mostly because um, I, I, I said a few weeks ago that I went through a phase where I was really into the movie The Crow. Uh, that kind of came on the heels of my phase of going through uh, my, my grunt phase, which lasted from about the end of high school to about maybe two years ago. <laughs> Um, and so buying this album and also getting really into Nirvana, I actually got into Foo Fighters first before I got into like heavily into Nirvana and, and, and Chuck and Matt know very well about my, my Nirvana phase. Um, but out of that came just a sort of a, just a, just a, just a, a deep, intense love for Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters and especially this album, which has so much great music. And especially, you know, the, the hits, uh, Monkey Wrench, My Hero, Everlong. I just like, I, I'm, I'm like put in a trance when I listen to these songs, um, especially Everlong. So that's that's kind of my relationship with it. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's continued on over the years. And there has been there's been some moments where I've kind of fallen away from Foo Fighters because I may have listened to somebody who, who may have classified Foo Fighters as dad rock, but uh, now I think that person sucks, and uh, they are definitely not dad rock. And if anyone says they are, I'll fight them. Um, so why so, yeah. did you use it for your Music Mayhem offering? Um, I'll just be completely honest. I love the Foo Fighters, and I want to talk about the Foo Fighters with my friends. <laughs> because I feel like I don't do that enough. That's a good enough reason. Um, and also because, you know, mm. what, a lot of the albums we talk about have, like, really interesting stories behind them or they kind of do something uh, interesting within the landscape of music. Like, they've, they've kind of changed things. They've kind of set a standard. You know, The Color and the Shape, I really think it was just, like, a, just a really solid album when it came out. It sold, it sold, like, two million copies, I think. It was very popular. It didn't change the landscape of music. It doesn't have like this really legendary story behind it. Um, it's just a great album, and uh, I wanted to introduce it into our, our our music mayhem canon, where I think it just belongs. And and um, yeah, so that's that's fun. and and also Dave Grawl is a legend. Uh, so all right, that's it. thank you Jake, for the introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna move into some initial thoughts, and uh, we'll. We'll let uh, Charles start us out with initial thoughts of on listening. All right. So um, 
I will, I will, I will tell a little story real quick. I, I remember um, mid '90s. I was a very distinct memory for some reason. Um, my mom and I were pulling into Target and in, in, in Orlando where I grew up. And this guy was walking out, and his T-shirt attracted my attention. And it was a T-shirt that had a ray gun on it, like an old-timey ray gun. And I was skateboarding yeah. at the time, and so he had kind of like a skater look to him, so he just caught my attention. And, and it said Foo Fighters on top, and I was like, what is that? Like, I just didn't, it just, it just caught my attention, I didn't know what it was. And then in Target, when we were walking around, I went to the music section, I happened to see that same image on a CD. And I was like, oh, I guess, oh, so it's a band, okay. But then I saw that, that T-shirt everywhere, and so I was like, what is, like, what is this food? And I noticed it was on, like, people who were a little older than me. Like, it was, the, they were wearing, people, like, you know, two, three years older than me were wearing the shirt and all of that. So I, I, I got a sense that it was, you know, from that perspective, it was older people music. Like, not older, like adult music, but, like, you know, you know I, was, I was probably like either in eighth grade or, in, or, or a freshman in high school, this was like what juniors and seniors were listening to and, um, and people in college. Um, and, um, and so I just didn't know much about it. Uh, I didn't know much about them or anything or why they were popular. I, anyway, a couple of years, it was around that time that I first started listen, watching MTV. And it was several years later that um, a music video came on that really caught my attention because I was always, as I mentioned before, really into punk rock. And the you know muted um, sort of muted guitar chords and very fast drum beats like anything with that like caught my attention and the song was Monkey Wrench by Foo Fighters, and so I, I thought the video was cool too with the red room and the like them all in black thing and like for some reason um, for some reason the guitarist Pat Smear like he caught my attention like I've, I've always been interested in the guy I don't know why. But he's a he's a great guitarist. Yeah, that's why <laughs> he's one of the most he's one of the best guitarists of the '90s. And so, like, I really like the song, and my buddy Josh and I really liked the song. And so, and then um, then the Everlong video came out. We really liked the song Everlong. We liked the video, but this was in a phase when I wasn't allowed to own non-Christian music. So my only interaction with um, with Foo Fighters were were the videos for these two songs. I'm sure Hero, um, there goes my hero, was there too. I just don't. Was that 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 song was featured in Varsity Blues, right? Yes, yeah, so heavily. That's right. Okay. And, all the, and, and like every commercial for Varsity Blues on MTV played that song. Right. Okay. So that's pretty much how that's how I was inter- that's how I interacted with this stuff. Fast forward to several years later, after I got my driver's license, after I failed my driving exam, my, my driving <laughs> test because I ran over a parking cone, um, I uh, I had my own car and I sneakily started buying my own CDs because I could kind of hide them in my car. And one of the CDs I bought was The Color and the Shape because um, I really liked Monkey Wrench. Um, and ever long. And so I bought it because of the singles. And it wasn't, I don't know if it was around that time or when it was that I learned that Dave Grohl had been the drummer for Nirvana. It must have been, I must have known about it for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's why they were so popular for, with a lot of people. Um, but my interaction with this album was pretty much just the singles. Like I only ever listened to the singles. So honestly, this, yeah. was, this was probably the first time, JP, because of this, that I've ever listened to the whole thing. Oh really? And like just and like actually listened to it because pretty much when I would listen, I would skip to the singles. Um, and I gotta say, I I actually found most of this album boring. Really? Yeah, but I Ooh. but I but I'm but I'm wondering how much of it. This the thought that occurred to me today was how much of it was sort of like like a, like a John Carter kind of thing. And what I mean by that is. Audiences did not respond to the movie John Carter um, that Disney put out several years ago, because, partly because so much popular science fiction had, is derived from 
John Carter of Mars. Um, same mm -hmm. thing with like the way audiences responded to Ghost in the Shell. A lot of people went and saw it and felt that it was unoriginal because they were, they were so engaged with stuff that had derived from it and come out of that time. And, I, and I'm wondering, as I listened to, the, as I listened to Color to Shape again this morning, I'm just wondering how much of it is that for me that like, if I had actually listened to this and engaged with this when you did, would I have different feelings about it as of now where I've had you know, decades of modern rock in my ear that this doesn't sound groundbreaking to me. Um, but that being said, I was surprised by, when we get to the tracks, we'll talk about some of the tracks that I was actually surprised by that were really good. Um, okay. But it also reminded me just how good the three singles are. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they really stand out to me far and above everything else on the record. I mean, they are, they are that good. And I think, I mean, to the extent that I'm not sure that Foo Fighters has, have had singles nearly as strong as these since in their career. I mean, they've had singles, but not, not ones that have like really taken root, at least from where I'm sitting, taken root the way that these three have, especially Everlong. I, I'm biased, but that to me, that's debatable. <laughs> well, of course, of course. Uh, thank you, Charles. Uh, Matt, initial thoughts on the color and the shape. Well, right at this exact moment, I'm suffering with like this momentary depression of watching this death of a lifelong friendship take place between Father Chuck and JD. <laughs> As he talks about how Foo Fighters uh, bored him. Um, and poor JP's look of pure sorrow in that moment. <laughs> but anyways, okay, um, it's fine. I, I was listening to this album thinking... It's very hard for me to think of a playlist I've created throughout my lifetime that did not include a food a Foo Fighter song on it. Um, it's they they kind of are wound through all the different styles of music I was into, all the different phases that that I went through in life, and something from them was always a part of that. It seems like so I would kind of call them my the. The, the background music to, to my life, if you would. Um, they're not necessarily my theme song like JP, but they're always this, this constant throughout the back of everything else. Um, and I found it so refreshing um, because I missed the last, last episode you all recorded. I was um, horribly sick. It was super fun in our house when everybody had fevers. Um, but... So my, my last experience of talking with all of you is DC Talk and talking <laughs> about how music all sounds the same and how tired of it we were. Um, that's one thing I love about this is it, you, like, you know, we joke about Nickelback. Every song you hit play on one, it sounds like every other song they play. On this one, everything is different. Each, each song is, like, a, a, just a different experience. I kind of felt like there's this... Um, roller coaster um, going going on emotion wise with them but at the same time um the consistent throughout it that kind of weaves every song together is just the fact that it's great rock music i mean come on um but i mean you go from like um what is it wind up and um my poor brain that are like assaults on your eardrums when it starts like to the point where i actually had to turn the music down in my car i'm like whoa, 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 whoa. Um, and, and then you have like these, 
these sorrowful sounding songs like uh, Everlong to me has kind of like this like a gentle sorrow to it um february stars is another one that's that's got kind of that that feel um you've got up in arms which to me i my my initial thought that i heard it was like harsh joy <laughs> it's like this joyous song but it's so harsh um it's just yeah this this album just every every song had its own touch to to the rock that that they're doing from the first track to the last which the last by the way is just pure insanity but um it's yeah it's just it's it's it was refreshing to be like oh yeah this is what a good rock band sounds like <laughs> um, you can enjoy the music and it's all different and and just fresh air and then hero don't get me started on hero but we'll be going song by song so mm-hmm. that's all my initial thoughts just refreshing and and loved it um so my initial thoughts uh so i have no relationship with the food fighters uh really at all i think in the in middle school when this one came out what come out or early high school um i was listening to a lot of classic rock and and um especially pink floyd i mean i can remember listening to pink floyd albums just cover to cover over and over again on on the bus and on band trips and all that kind of stuff so I, I really completely missed the kind of post-grunge thing. Um, and so this was this was my first real authentic experience of the Foo Fighters. Uh, well, I, nice. do listen to class, I do listen to rock radio, and so I have heard Monkey Wrench and Hero and, um, and Everlong before because they're smash hits. But um, in the context of the album, it was the first. It was the first for me. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely more in the Charles camp. Um, I, I really like what you talked about about that, I, that the idea of a John Carter syndrome. Um, I think that that's a that's a really insightful way to describe what I was hearing here. It, it, I listened to this I listened to this album three times. Um, the first time I was in my car and I was able to see the track listings that came up, and I was just kind of like cataloging in my head initial thoughts. Then I listened to it as I mowed the lawn the other day, and and then I listened to it um, last night with the lyric sheet out to kind of get another kind of pass through it. And my by far the best listen I had to it was when I was mowing the lawn, um, and I couldn't and I couldn't like overthink it in some way. I mean, mowing the lawn is a mindless task, but I wasn't I wasn't like trying to derive some kind of like strong kind of meaning or feeling from it because when I in the other two situations I just kept getting stuck. Um, if I had to, I don't know anything about music, but when you said that like it doesn't change the landscape of music, I, I thought to myself, I don't know if it was Monkey Ranch or if it was some other song, but as I was listening to it, I was realizing that Foo Fighters, for me, seems like they're a transitional, a transitional band, like an important transitional ma- band between the the real heavy darkness of grunge and the kind of post pop punk kind of of Blink One oh, yeah. And yeah. so I'm thinking to myself, like, okay. I see. I see how this album is a transitional piece, and if I had if I had experienced it authentically at the time, I feel like I would probably have a different understanding of it. But it seems like they're kind of like many transitional bands. Like I would call the Who a transitional band too, in that they're 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 the transition between kind of the pop sensibilities of rock leading into punk. And Foo, Foo Fighters seems like they're that grunge to to, to pop punk. Um, it just felt it felt like there was something I was missing in like getting really totally on board with it. Um, 
what's, I, I was laughing to myself, Matt, when you said that every song was different, because every single time I listened to it, I said to myself, like, oh, uh, Dave Grohl is singing um, sweetly here at the beginning of this song. I bet by the end of the song, he's going to be screaming, and, <laughs> and the and the guitars are going to be thrashing, and I was not disappointed <laughs> in, in like 80% of the songs. Um, so I didn't I didn't get a sense that they were all very different. Um, but I, I really did I really did love the the, the hits, and I'm excited to talk about um, about them especially. But but the inner the inner ones I just didn't nothing caught me. Yes. I think if I can jump in real quick, I think this is a really fascinating. This is a fascinating thing to watch because it, for our, for this episode, um, because Patrick and I, you are kind, of, you and I are kind of on the same wavelength with this, right? I mean, like, and, and, and not just like I mean, I know we just acknowledge that, but I mean, like, you've just listened to it for the first time. I've just listened to it for the first time, um, and then JP and Matt, they have some nostalgia factor with this that brings a different, you know. So I'm, I'm curious about how that affects. You know, I'm I'm just interested in how that affects perception. And it makes me actually kind of think about um, our less than generous treatment of DC Talk Supernatural a couple weeks ago. That (laughs) maybe, maybe if we had, I don't know, because even even Matt, who like grew up with it, didn't like it. So maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I had I had the same nostalgia factor with that as I do with this. Um, and it doesn't hold up now, right. not, not in my mind. That's the difference. Um, but no, I do think that I think, see, I think the problem is, uh, father Chuck there just nailed it right off the bat. And where do we go from there? I think it's, um, with, with JP and I, we, we were experiencing this album as it came out and it was the transition phase. So when it came out, this was changing everything like it's you got so used to hearing these couple sounds out there that everybody had and then Foo Fighters stepped up and you're like wait what is this like you can have this this kind of in between the two um hard rock but also soft and and there's like a, a gentleness to parts of their songs and then you can have songs like a hero that just where did that even fit at the time compared to everything else out there that just was making noise um whereas like you said you two are hearing it from a perspective of everything after it um and it's interesting i i heard that um uh Paul Shear has his new podcast he's doing where they're going through oh. the greatest movies of all time. It's a good um, one. It's called Unspooled. Take it out. And, yeah. And they talk about um, Citizen Kane in episode one. And they basically talk about how they realize nobody, like almost nobody's seen Citizen Kane, but we all know Citizen Kane. And it's like we, when they watched the movie for the first time, they're like, I realized how everything everything references this movie everything plays off this movie there's it's like you're hard pressed to find something in culture that wasn't influenced by this citizen kane movie and i feel like it's kind of like what you're saying with this is foo fighters if you hear it now it's like oh yeah that's that music that you know it's very of its time and it's the same stuff we hear now that that played out whereas when it came out it was it was like this. This was the this was the difference. This was what was moving things forward and going towards something else. Here's a group that was singing for the first time to me. Here's the group that was my 
first legitimate of my time rock group where I felt like they're the ones finally singing, saying what I want in the way that I want it done instead of the music. Like I love oldies, still love oldies, but that's the, you know, that was that generation's rock music. And it's like when this came out, I was like, I I felt like this was when it was finally, here's my generation's rock music Mm -hmm. um, was, was Foo Fighters. So it, it would make sense if you missed that phase with them now it's such a thing that's been been copycatted to a point even i mean um the christian music world um uh, ripped off that whole sound and so it's just at this point it's you've heard it referenced so many times you it does it kind of um puts a shadow over the original because you feel like you've already experienced it oh, and been there what you we're talking about the, the christian music scene i mean listening to this i i i heard um, Plank Eyes, the one and only, which is a Christian band, and um, and I loved that album. And I realized it came out the same year as this album. I can't remember which one came out first, but no no doubt in my mind that that the Christian recording industry was sort of like, hey, you guys need to make a sound like this because this is what's selling right now. <laughs> of course, right? Because yeah. that's how that's how it works. What like nine? <laughs> Christian <laughs> industrial complex or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But I um I I've, I've got other things to say but I don't, I'm not just Let's let's jump into yeah. the track listing. Well, well we... if I if I can give my review of the album. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Next. Let me just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay, so um I'm going to start the fight with you Chuck and mm-hmm. then after you uh uh Father Fun and uh, Matt you're spared. Um, <laughs> and then JP and I are going to go do our own podcast. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if I, if I, if I hammered in as hard as I thought I did about how much I love Foo Fighters, um, and especially Dave Grohl. Um, <laughs> I think so. I don't. I don't disagree with Father Chuck and Father Fun on this. I, like, I, 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 I don't think that they all sound alike, but I do understand where the idea of there's not much distinction between a lot of the songs. And, and it is kind of funny, Father Fun, that you joke, they're like, oh, it's kind of soft. I wonder if he's going to be screaming by the end. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, I, I feel like that is sort of a, a, it's a theme throughout the album. It's a theme um, throughout all of Foo Fighters music. And it's also something that's kind of cribbed from Nirvana. Um, the idea of uh, dreamy to screamy, as like some reviewers have, have pointed out in, in uh, reviews I've read. Uh, that's that's one of the I said it goes from dreamy to screaming. Um, that's sort of like the formula that Nirvana had kind of perfected in their heyday, which is sort of like soft, soft verses, loud choruses. And then, um, the, the album itself, you know, uh, Dave Grohl has said that, you know, if I had to rethink the cover art of the album, it would be like a couch in a therapist's office. And, and it's basically just him working through what he was experiencing emotionally with uh, the divorce he was going through, 
and also with uh, falling in love with Louise Post of Veruca Salt. No relation. Uh, um, unless there is relation, because that means there's a means Everlong is about one of my relatives. And <laughs> I'm not going to brag or anything. <laughs> uh, but uh, and, and I think that formula he uses, it's 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 kind of even though he's cribbing it sort of from Nirvana, I think it's reflective of, of the theme of the album. You know, Matt, you talked about how it's sort of this chaos emotionally, like it's it's. It, you know, it's a roller coaster because that's what he was going through at the time internally. And it's sort of like you can kind of think the producer of the album, his name is um, Gil Norton. Gil Norton um, is, um, I don't know Pixies. that he's legendary. Yes, he's a Pixies producer. And uh, that that reason alone is why they, they got him to produce it because uh, his debut album, the Foo Fighters debut album, I don't know if you guys know this, but it was all done by Dave Grohl. Yeah. Like, it was a solo project that he did by himself. Uh, he did the, the guitar, the drums, the bass, everything. And then he said he wanted his next album to not be like a garage punk, dirty sounding kind of thing. He wanted he wanted to make a slick rock album. That was his point. And that's why I, I'm... I, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I just I have a, I have a, I have something I want to. Now you've you've given me an opening to a thing I have on my notes. So get, get, finish your your thought, and then I, I have something to say or a question to ask. So that's why that's why I kind of appreciate what, what what Matt is basically saying. Matt is basically saying like when he thinks of rock, this is what he thinks of, and that's always why I love Foo Fighters and why they was sort of you know you listen to Green and it's like oh that's punk, you know you listen to Metallica totally metal, Foo Fighters like it's rock it's rock like this is just like it's just all rhythm. It's because because that's what that's a girl does best. The screaming, the guitars, the drumming that is like to me, that is just like pure rock. And that's why I love Foo Fighters. And that's why I love this album. Charles had one thing you wanted to add before we. Yeah, I you, you've mentioned several times your, your love of Dave Grohl. And I and I'm not I'm not trying to come at this where I'm like, you're objectively wrong. And I, like this isn't a, like a winner's losers conversation, JP. Yes, it uh, is. Yes, it is. It is not. So but here's the, something I'm curious about about. And this is I, I want I would like to I'd like you to speak to this. Okay. Is so Dave Grohl like Dave Grohl like reading uh, things I've read about this album and read about the four nation of Foo Fighters and things about Dave just I mean just a little bit that I that I know the dude like worshipped Kurt Cobain like that's like in his own oh yeah like in his own words. So how does one justify then the fact that the first real Foo Fighters album as a band Foo Fighters mm-hmm. is intentionally a commercially accessible piece of music considering that Kurt Cobain was like so anti-commercialism. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, I know that Dave Grawl is, 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 is dynamically different from Kurt Cobain. Dave, I feel like if Kurt were alive today, he would probably hate Dave Grawl. I feel like how Courtney Love has always felt about Dave is how Kurt has always felt about Dave, to be okay. honest, even when they were on the band together. I, I, I'm not delusional in that and saying that he's like he is like Kurt Cobain. No, 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 no. I know, yes, Kurt is very anti-commercialism. Dave, all about wanting to be commercial. So does that mean that Dave, that Dave is somebody who, rec- who like was interested in sort of mystifying Kurt Cobain so he could be marketed? I mean... I think whatever Dave Grohl did, he did it because he just wanted to. Like, I just think he's just, just a totally different person, totally different goals from Kurt Cobain. Okay. I think Nirvana had, had, its, had its dreams and, and, and aspirations, 
that are completely 100% different from Foo Fighters. I think Foo Fighters, I think of Dave Grohl just wanting to be a rock star. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I think. This is spicy. Let's uh, <laughs> take some of that energy and, and start breaking into the track list. Let's do it. So are we are we doing the original 1997 release, or are we doing the 10th anniversary edition that has uh, six new songs? I listened to the original. I didn't listen to any of the new songs. I listened to the original as well. So okay, we'll do if, that. Right. So if you, I mean, if you guys, if if you guys listen to the 10th anniversary, and want to talk about those? You can, but I I didn't listen to them, so that, and I uh, haven't heard them in a, like a long time, so I don't really have much to say about them. Short and so. sweet, picking off the album with Doll. Doll. Um, I think it's a great way to open the album. Uh, and, um, <laughs> you know, what's kind of funny about this album is, uh, we always kind of read the Wikipedia articles just to kind of get like a general knowledge overview of the album. And then, and then I kind of do like a deep dive into like, I actually pull up Rolling Stone articles and stuff. I don't know why I did that. Cause I read a review for this and I hated it. Um, but what's funny about this Wikipedia article is that they have like meanings for every single song. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so and did that himself, right? Uh Yeah, I'm sure. Um, uh, but you know, doll, doll is a really good way to start the album because it's, you know, it's, it's very quiet and it's all about like, um, being afraid of, of approaching something when you don't feel like prepared. Um, I like it. It's not something I listen to over and over again. It's just something I kind of like listening to whenever, I listen to the album. Like I just think it, it has a great place in the album. What no, do you guys no, think? The first instance of something that I heard as I went along of Dave Grohl making really interesting choices and in how he um, meters out and pronounces words. So like, and I don't, and I don't know if it's intentional. I'll, I'll, the, the major one is, is a little later and I'll bring it up at that point too. But I had to listen to Dalt twice when I first listened to it because I couldn't quite understand what he was saying because I wasn't listening with a lyric sheet. Because I kept hearing him say, doll me up in my bedlam. Because of the <laughs> doll me up in my bedlam again. Yeah. What I ha- and, and, um, and I thought that that was interesting that I was hearing that because it has a, like, it, the, the, the song has the same meaning in some ways, but differently. Um, kind of different ways of getting at it, of saying, like, doll me up in my insanity, you know, my bedlam insanity. And then doll me up in the bad luck that I've, um, you know, created for myself or have had foisted upon me. I mean, I, I just like the lyric "Doll me up on my bad luck." I think it's a cool, I think it's a cool lyric. Um, I don't know. I I kind of got, I kind of trailed off a little in my, in my thoughts. But one of the reasons Gil Norton was brought on was because he did the Pixies, and because he did the Pixies, he's such a great producer. He's kind of, if you ever listen to the Pixies, they're a very artful band. They're very wonderful lyricists, and they have a, kind of a mathematical way of sort of, uh, um, you know, structuring their songs and stuff and he he actually brought some of that that's that's why dave Grohl hired him and um so it, also because you know dave Grohl has him and he's like i'm not like a great lyricist you know i'm not i'm not like a genius lyricist i just write about whatever he's talked about how like he when he was a kid he used to write songs about like his dog or something um and gil norton was the one who sort of like cracked the whip it was like you need more meaningful lyrics <laughs> so like whenever i see something like dom me up on my bad luck or, or like you know sort of more poetic stuff that's happening you just kind of tell it's probably Gil, Gil Norton's influence on, on Dave Monkey Wrench 
Charles, why don't you start us out? I, Monkey Wrench is so much fun. And like my feeling, my feeling on Doll is probably the feeling that I had the first time I bought the record, which was like, all right, just get me to Monkey Wrench. Like, I just need to just <laughs> skip. Um, by the way, I went through a phase for a while, I noticed um, in, in, in the mid-90s that when I would buy a lot of CDs that like the first three songs are usually kind of like, like well, the first two songs are usually like skippable. I always found that to be the case. Like the first two songs are, you know, and, and just as an aside, to me, again, I, I hate saying this stuff, JP, because I know you, you take this, you love this thing so much. But like, I feel like it was really indicative of, of that mid-90s problem where there were like, like a handful of really great singles and then a bunch of filler in between those singles. And the singles were what sold the records, but then there was, and that's what led to things like Napster being formed for a la carte music because people wanted the singles and like, and they felt, but anyway, I mean, not as bad as you saw in some of the pop stuff at the time. But anyway, that being said, Monkey Wrench is, Monkey Wrench is a really good song. Um, it's fun. It's energetic. I think it captures exactly what Patrick was saying in that transition phase between grunge and pop punk. Um, I mean, even though, even though we had like Green Day and Offspring and others producing music at this time, um, this, this, this was one of the first, like really, to me, like really fast, energetic, skater sounding songs that made it into like top 40 radio or whatever. I mean, like I, and, 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 and then it's hard for me to talk about the song without also talking about the music video because like that was my that was my exposure to the song the first time was, mm-hmm. so I have a visual component with the song and right. I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's artsy. It's, it's weird. The band is silly. They're having fun in, in it. I mean, it just seemed like the kind of thing that just wasn't all that common on the, on, on music television at the time, because so many of the rock bands were so like, we're so serious. We do. I mean, like, I mean, for crying out loud, like, at the same time, Bush is creating music, and I think Bush's Razorblade Suitcase had come out around this same time, and, um, and they had, like, one of their songs featured, like, flies, like, exiting out of, out of somebody's body and stuff. I mean, it was just, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, Offspring's um, Gone Away is, you know, nothing but, you know, a swinging light bulb over top of the, I mean, just so, like, dark and so serious to have a band just having fun and being silly and cross-dressing because i mean that's that's what we'll talk about whatever long <laughs> but like that yeah. that was a good thing and again like you know and, and you mentioned that that Patrick, you mentioned that uh paving the way for like blink 182 which was oh, yeah. I, I, just I, having I fun when i heard monkey wrench i i heard this what i would hear two years later of the da 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 all the small things <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. like like I was just like, this is this this sounds like what Blink One Eighty Two maybe heard when they were thinking like, oh, we should sound like that. Yeah, I mean, as as a as a fan of Blink One Eighty Two, I think that they maybe I don't know, but the uh, I I also really like. Oh, Monkey. we just lost the call. Father Tuck <laughs> dropped out. <laughs> what? What? Anyway, the um, the uh, I also like the kind of like the false start, false stop part in the song like and i've always i've always liked that in music like especially like in the chorus where they do that a couple times like i i i just find that really great but anyway yeah i just i think it's a great energetic song i think it's it's serious like blink 182 blink Two doesn't come across as serious musicians until their self-titled album many years later um this is this this has like there's there's some serious musicality to it um, I mean, I don't think I even knew what a monkey wrench was before this song ever came out. So, um, <laughs> thanks Dave Grohl. 
Um, and now that I know that this is basically his is about his ex about his marriage that's falling apart, and that statement that he's not going to be the one to try to fix this thing is adds a, adds an interesting layer to it. Um, but yeah, I mean personally, I would have opened the album with this song. Like this would have been right out the gate. This would have been the song. Um, but um, but I you know but then again there in his if he's if his overall theme of this album is to go from dreamy to screamy then to you know this and then ending with color in the shape are not gonna it's not gonna give the bookend to what he's trying to do so um um but yeah no i, I I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of monkey ranch like i love that song see the the this is an example to me because there's another song that i think does it very very well also that jp was saying about the more poetic kind of lyrics that you find in this because um, what I found find interesting about Monkey Wrench, and it's like one of those obvious things, but at the same time, I just I love it. Is like you said, it's it's interpreted as like his marriage is falling apart, and he's not going to be the one to fix it. But also, Monkey Wrench is the thing you use for you don't want to throw a monkey wrench into it, which would be the thing that um, ruins it. Yeah. Okay. So he's playing off the I don't want to be the one to 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 have to hold this together and fix everything. But at the same time, he's like, I don't want to be the monkey wrench that's causing this to fall apart and, and to, to break. Um, and I know we're going to go song by song, but I think it fits more here in the discussion. It's the same as in the song, um, walking after you, where when he says, if you walk away, I'm, uh, you know, basically if you walk away from me, I'm going to follow you. I'll be on your back. Um, I'm on your back and the way that he says I'm on your back it feels like he's singing I'm on your side like I'm, I'm right there with you I'm on your side and yet on your back has this very negative connotation to it where it's like get off my back um, so he, he does this often where there's this kind of like playing off these these double meanings here where it's like I don't want to be the monkey wrench I don't want to be the one fixing it and it's like but I might be the monkey wrench I might be the one breaking it um, and then I'm on your back, like I'm there with you. I'm on your back. Where at the same time, it's like, man, get off my back. Like you're, he, he's on my back. Get off. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I liked that. I found it, I found it great. I'm on your side, JP. I'm on your back. <laughs> I'm on your back, man. Excellent song, by the way. I look forward to our, our text messages later about these two losers. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> hit it. Uh, all right. That said, do we want to hit? Uh, well. I want to say something about, about Monkey Rich. My my, I, I love this song. It, it's it's a great song and it is really fun. And I love it's it's kind of very '90s to me. It's like a the name of the song is Monkey Ranch and it's silly and it's fun. I love that it's like it really is like just totally the the opposite way of Nirvana. Like it, you couldn't be any more distant from Nirvana than this song. Um, and I, my 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 favorite part in the song because I love singing along to it is the bridge toward the end where he's like just screaming the rest of the lyrics yeah. <laughs> and not, yeah. So I actually want to kind of, re- I had that. Here. I just want to read it real quick um, because it's it, to me, you know, it encapsulates the song and what it's about is one last thing before I quit. I never wanted any more than I could fit into my head. I still remember every single word you said and all the shit that said that somehow came along with it. Still, there's one thing that comforts me since I was always caged and now I'm free. So it's definitely about, I mean, it's, it's, to break up. And I, I am alone in this world of wet. And <laughs> it could be a Bond song. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying, I, I just, I, I love that, uh, I love that bridge. I think it's, um, 
I think it's a lot of fun. I love it. That's all I wanted to say about it. All right. Hey, John Park. Johnny Park. Exclamation point. Hey, Johnny Park. Hey, Johnny Park. Um, I love it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, um, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. Like. Between Monkey Wrench and Hero, it's a blur to me. Okay. I'm, oh, I'm be honest. Okay. It's a All right. But 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 these mean things to you, JP. So go tell us. I'm here. I want to be. I'm here to be converted. Honestly, like I'm not. I'm not here to be. A stick sure, me too. I, I, I want to hear your passion. I'm not exactly a pro at changing hearts and Pesticide. minds, but um, well, there's there's shape three to the color. There's three songs that to me. They're they're not my favorite, but I love this album as a whole. But Hey Johnny Park is one of them. Yeah. Um, Wind Up is one of them, and My Poor Brain is one of them. Yeah, uh, me too. But the reason is they are written as, like I said, they feel like an assault on your ears. Like when the music kicks on, it's like, come on, man, you're killing me. Um, but I feel like that was the intention to those songs. That's the that's the. Um, the uh, but the only word I can think of is angst on the on the album. That's the the like just kind of shouting at the world kind of songs. So but they do it more through the the guitars and the drums. It's like I felt like I couldn't turn the bass up because I felt like the bass was drowned in like this this assault of of um, just the 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 higher cymbal playing and the the drums going and the the, the guitar screaming at you. And it's like it drowned out everything else to where it, it's almost like you wanted to to shake your head to make it stop, like quit, quit, quit. Um, and I feel like that's what they were doing with these three songs. But for that reason, I also agree that they're they're definitely like if you were to go, OK, I'm just going to play one of these three songs that they like they never made it on my playlist. So these aren't the songs I go to to, to listen to. But in the album, they're they're the angst. They're the the insane. And then all, they, they fit with the. Um, the title track at the end, they're just the insanity on the album. It's it's the the screaming noise at you that's when you don't... Um, <laughs> sorry, I just had a blasphemous thought of like that verse, you know, when you don't know how to how to pray, the Spirit will intercede for you with groans. And I feel like this is there, when you don't know how to shout at the world, will intercede with you with screaming guitars and crashing cymbals. That's sort of like um, prim primal scream therapy. Right, that, that's kind of what these songs are to me. So sorry to like lump four songs into one when we're going track by track, but that's, right. they, that's they kind of how those anyway, four songs so. fit for me. Um, is those four songs are kind of the lumped together as just the the screaming interludes, if you will. One thing I didn't mention. I'm gonna poke you in the eye next time I see you, like Three Stooges style, right in the eye. That's what I want to do through the screen right now. <sighs> one thing I didn't mention in my in my process was that um, I I had some interactions with like Gen Xers who would have been like late high school or college aged when this album came out like and asking them like what their experience was with the Foo Fighters and and generally they were almost all of them were indifferent to the Foo Fighters oh, of course of course in it went well their generation next right? so um yeah, one of the uses anyway so one of the things that kept happening as I was <laughs> as I was uh telling people about the album and asking them about the album was I just couldn't remember the name and I kept mm -hmm. calling it the fire and the fury <laughs> and, and like, or like, and that was the one that I kept coming back to, just totally accidentally. You know, obviously, very funny. But um, I, I, when I was listening to this album, in this part of the music or the album, I kept thinking to myself, like, I've officially become an old man. 
because I kept saying to myself, like, wait, what is he saying? Like, the, like, like I just felt like the mix was completely off. Like, which is what Matt was was saying, basically, as part of the aesthetic of these of these of these four songs, was that I just kept saying, I can't hear you, Dave. Like, can you can you <laughs> can you turn down the distortion just a little bit so that I can? No. Okay. <laughs> I actually have a question, real quick, Patrick, and for everybody. How did you listen to it? Did you listen to it through streaming, or did you listen to it through a CD? Streaming. Streaming. JP. What are CDs? I, I, I mean, I streamed this time, but I listened to it a billion different That's true, okay. And Matt? <laughs> oh, streaming. Okay. Because yeah, I listen to a streaming as well. But I'm, I'm wondering if, because as I've said before, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of becoming converted to the fact that listening to something in the medium in which it was produced is crucial because they mm. mix things differently for streaming. And I'm actually wondering, because mm. streaming is all about loudness factor. And, and basically, like, one of the criticisms in the recording world right now is that because of streaming, because they have to compress all this data into an into a easily downloadable format, that it flattens the sound. And you don't hear the dynamism of the different instruments. And I'm actually wondering if that might be a factor. And if I were to listen to this on a CD, if I might actually like it better, because you can hear the, you can hear the texture of, of the songs instead of just sort of a flat, compressed version of it. Mm. Compelling. Yeah. JP, do you want to freaking hipster? Do you want to talk about these, uh, these four interlude songs? Hey, blame blame Patrick for Whoa. introducing me to the Ways of Hearing podcast. Yeah, oh, so good. Um, Wait, do, you you, I didn't about, do you want to say anything about three through uh, three through six? Are there any? <laughs> I will say this. <laughs> I like Hey Johnny Park. I think it's. Definitely exemplary of that sort of formula where it's uh, soft versus loud choruses. And it also, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Nirvana's In Bloom. Of course, In Bloom is a better song because it's legendary, it's Nirvana, blah, blah, blah. But it, it sort of kind of reminds me of the same sort of structure. Um, and when I say that, I, I kind of also mean that it, it's sort of the closest sort of to a Nirvana song. And I, I'm sorry if I talk a lot about Nirvana. I'm going to try not to, but... Um, oh, you've yeah. already failed. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I think. I mean, as far as as far as the meaning behind it, like, I, I don't. I don't think like we have to divine a meaning for every single one of these songs. And, and you know, according to the Wikipedia article, it's uh, Dave has said it's about like a billion different things. This this particular song. But one thing that's kind of interesting is that the reason why it's called "Hey Johnny Park" is because. Um, Johnny Park was a friend of Dave Grohl's when he was 14 years old. And he's like, I just thought it would be cool because, you know, this is before Facebook and MySpace. He's like, I thought it'd be cool if I actually just, I haven't seen him in years. I don't know what he's doing. I thought it'd be cool if I put his name on one of my tracks and maybe he'd get in touch with me. So I don't know, (laughs) but I I, I think that's cool though. Like, I I mean that, 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 you know, that's, it's like, uh, I have a thing to say, but I'll wait for I'll wait for the end. Um, um, so yeah, we can move on from Johnny Park to my poor brain. Um, well, say what you say what you need to say about these. It, it seems like the 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 rest of us have are all kind of lost these. So in some ways, we could just move on. Like I, I <laughs> um. Whatever. Let's just, just just go to my hero. I will say I will say one of the things that stood out to me in, in this section of the album, JP, is that this was much more and like and Matt's already touched on this. It was much more aggressive 
than I than I remembered. For some reason in my head, I took Color in the Shape to be a much more like poppy album. And this I, I was I was surprised at how aggressive the guitar work is in so much of it, how aggressive the drum work was. And again, the screaming. I forgot that Dave screamed as much as he does. And that Yeah. And Which that, he doesn't do much of these days. Though. Right. Well and like and like can't do it anymore. Right. But it's not like you know, it was, it'd, be, it'd be another almost decade before we would, you know, definitely be a decade before Screamo would become a thing. Yeah. And, um, and so, so again, like, I appreciate that what David, I, I appreciate the way that this sort of, there's the elements of this guy was the drummer of Nirvana and therefore that's in there, but it's, but it is surrounded by production that makes things more accessible to a more to a more mainstream audience and i can get why diehard nirvana fans might hate that um but it shows that dave garol is interested in standing out on his own and setting out on his own and not trying to just ride on the coattails of kurt cobain he's doing his own thing even though even though being nirvana's drummer is largely what sold their self-titled album um this is his this is his attempt at making his own statements and and though like I'm criticizing a lot of it because of its sameness, to what again I own to the fact that I'm listening to it now in 2018 rather than in 1997 when it came out. So like you have to keep that in mind. Like I'm not I'm not coming out there saying like oh this album's wallpaper. Like I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I recognize that the the the, the situation that I'm in, the circumstances in which I'm listening to it, you know, streamed and in this today and time color my my appreciation of it. Um, the, um, um, and I, and I had another thing I was going to say, but I completely lost that. But I, I, so I do, so I'm, I'm, I'm learning to appreciate what this is and trying to get my mind space, my head space into, you know, what it was when it was made. And, um, and so like, I can appreciate the fact that, that Dave Grohl, oh, that's, that's what I was going to say. It has, it has all of the markers of a first album like Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. even, even though it's called Foo Fighters is not a Foo Fighters album because it's right. just Dave Grohl playing all the instrumentation. This is the first Foo Fighters album. And, and it's, and I think like we, you have to have some degree of expectation that this is a band still finding its footing and that not every track is going to be legendary and that's okay. Um, and that's why I, and that's why I, I, I personally wanted to highlight the singles because the singles are just so good that it shows like what, what this band is capable of. And like nine, you know, 90% of 90% of first records you ever listen to, it's like, okay, one or two songs are worthwhile. The rest of it is kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, but this band, you know, they're, 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 you know, they have so much baggage that they're working off of to be able to be what they are. And I can't imagine being Dave Grohl, in this time, going through a divorce, having a crush on another person, like an intense crush with another, on another person, still reeling from the death of your friend and the loss of your previous band, um, having all this expectation, like, oh, well, you're sort of like the guy carrying the torch of Nirvana. You've got to, like, keep this going. Yeah. And him basically being like, nah, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to do my own thing. Plus, uh, recording this album was actually a nightmare for them. They recorded a lot in, in, in Bear Creek, Washington, and they had a drummer... Um, um, William Goldsmith, and they actually he actually ended up re-recording 
enormous chunks of it, almost actually kind of recording William Goldsmith out of it to the point where it's like, I quit. Right. Mm. So he did all this drumming stuff and he quit. And then Dave Grohl just did it himself. <laughs> right. And then they got ta- uh, Taylor Hawkins in. Yeah, Taylor Hawkins came in. He didn't. Rec- he recorded a few songs of the album, but they're not. They're they, they're not. They don't show up until the anniversary stuff. Um, that's kind of when we became the regular go to, especially when it came to touring. Um, so Which, yeah, by the way, I, mean, I like. I, I'm a big fan of Taylor Hawkins. I think he is. He is. He is yeah. a great drummer. And I also. I have also greatly admired the fact that Dave Grohl, like, handed that off to someone else. Oh yeah, totally. I, it's, I, th- I mean, it says a lot about a guy for someone like Dave Grohl to be like, "No, you be the drummer." Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, so, but yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm bringing it up just to be like, you know, it was it was a difficult time, and it was like kind of a nightmare, and, and that's sort of one of the important things that Dave Grohl learned while making this album. I mean, the 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 recording and the touring was so grueling that Pat Smear quit the band for like like ten years. Right. Um, and it wasn't because he had any kind of altercation. He, he didn't like have any disagreements. He didn't, he wasn't going through anything. It was just like, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just taking everything out of me. I'm not used to, I'm a garage band. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah. Charles, um, having, I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to, I was just going to expand on what Charles said or, or reflect back. I, I think that's a really helpful corrective to think about and to reframe the way that I'm listening to this, to understand that it really is a first album. Um, you know, whereas something like, you know, you started Music Mayhem with Rumors, which is a mature, a mature band kind of putting it, putting itself together and it ends up coming with a mature. I mean, it's like nine years into their, into their discography anyway. Well, right. Um, but, but I, mean, I, I, like, I, I could get on. Last year we did, you know, we did Music Mayhem, it's, it's yeah, kind of the same deal where you have a band that already kind of understands who it is and they're able to put together, um, you know, a set of, a, a string of just insane Song. Um, right. And yeah, like DC Talk, it became so well seasoned by the time Supernatural came out. Of <laughs> God, that can I just, <laughs> just from, just, just let me add it again. I'm, I, man, that band. And that's, you know, it, it makes you really wonder how are they that legendary in the Christian world? I mean, Jesus Freak is good. I mean, and it's that good, but everything else they produced is just not. I'm, and I'm it curious, is very though, much like they? the Nashville, like the Nashville music professionals is like boardroom, like here, make this, this will sell. Like that's but, everything. But they, anyway, sorry. In the, I'm curious. So in the Christian world, are they really, if you went to like a, the big youth group today and walked in the door and said, Hey, you know, what band Toby Mac used to be in. Do you think any of them would know of DC top? no. Maybe not, but I'm talking about within like the people who do like music journalism and music writing and stuff, like people who 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 do like the history of Christian music, okay. like DC. There's Talk. a history of Christian music. There's several of them. It's like a it's like a pylon. Even I know about DC Talk, and I'm and I'm not actually a real Christian. So I'm us away from DC Talk. Yes, thank I'm you. Be back. Um, and let's uh, and let's hit uh, my hero. Well, before you get that, I'll just, I'll just say the quick quick thing about these three tracks so they don't go... I'll just say a quick thing. Yeah. Um, I love Wind Up. I get really into it whenever I listen to it. In fact, whenever I think of this album, I actually don't think about the three singles. I think about Wind Up. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always like, when someone brings a color shape, I just start, like, I just start, I just envisioning the, the opening to it and just that I love the drumming very much. Um, I think it's trying to... I think Wind Up and My Poor Brand trying to accomplish the same thing, but I think Wind Up does it better. Uh, up in arms, I'll be completely honest. Uh, even as much as a, of a fan of Foo Fighters as I am, I'm not a huge fan of his ballads. 
That's just because I want to get to the screaming. Yeah. <laughs> but sure. But sure. Let's talk about my hero. My hero. Okay. So this is the other. This is the other album or the other song where I was like, "Why are you singing it that way?" And <laughs> oh, really? I felt, yeah. Like I just I. What is the virtue? Okay. So one of the things we talk about, you know, in the Midwest sometimes when we think about the Pentecostal church in the South is we we laugh about the. Um, taking a two-syllable name and making it into like a 14-syllable name of Jesus, you know. I felt like every time he sang the word hero, he was trying to make, I don't understand what the virtue of adding syllables to that sound is. And so what ends, what I end up hearing is, there goes my hero, like, like trying to add a different like level to that, word and i don't know i don't know what that's about it was what the guy I think it was think of what it ended up making me think of is every time he said it i was like i know it's called my hero i know what he is saying but i'm hearing him say my euro as in the greek sandwich right that's what i was gonna say he's actually he's actually at the greek restaurant and the guy bought the last euro <laughs> and he's like there it goes there goes my okay. euro okay <laughs> Love the song. I, I have a theory. I have a theory. It's just a theory. Father, father Fun, um, you're you're quickly becoming our Yoko Ono. Ask you to leave. You're becoming the Courtney Love to my Dave girl. Um, uh, uh, I have a theory about that, to be honest. Oh, good. You know, so like the influence of British punk on American punk is like you kind of have to, you kind of like are faking a British accent as you're sort of singing these lyrics. Nirvana takes a lot from that punk scene, and Kurt Cobain did the same thing. Mm. And I think I think a lot of grudge bands are the same thing, which also takes heavily from the American punk scene as well. And I think I think it's just sort of a holdover to that sort of style of rock. He's kind of bringing that sort of punk tradition over into it. That's just my theory. My I, mean, theory I mean, Chris Cornell did it, the same thing. He he did it all the way up to the day he died. <laughs> my theory is it's perfection, and you're wrong, and we can move on. <laughs> Do you, so when you see the word H-E-R-O printed out, do you pronounce it Euro then, if it's perfection? Yes. I do yeah. now. I watched for the rest of my life. Charles, you're waiting to say something. I'm just, no, I'm, I'm just mouthing the words. I'm just curious. I'm just curious then, Patrick, how, w- how would you do it? Well... And Hard age, not, like, hero. Yeah, the, the musical, the musical choice necessitates hero. like a, 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 a elongated monosyllabic word. And so, so if you if you like the way that the melody is going, then you have then, then you have to do it this way. I don't see. I don't. I'm not a gene. I'm not a musical genius. I don't know how I would do it. I mean, but, oh, I guess oh, you we could, all know that after this episode, you're not a musical genius. I mean, I guess you could like carry out the goes, like there goes my hero. Like, I guess you could do, but that makes it sound very country. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you, you did just turn it into a country. Yeah. By the way, have you guys have you guys heard have you guys heard Teen Spirit done in a major key? It's hilarious. <laughs> I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 you know. This song is is, is uh, incredible. Recorded two years before the album was even uh, written, it was played a lot at um, tours. Is that I think even I think Taylor Hawkins was drum was I have I keep getting my my history mixed up. I think Taylor Hawkins was touring with them before they did this. Um, but he was saying this is the song where he thought where he like he knew that Dave Grohl was going to make a good album. 
if they were just like if it, if it was the music was like this. Yeah, the the dr- the drumming so in this song is phenomenal, and yeah. the guitar, like the lead guitar, is iconic. Like that is an iconic sound of a guitar that sounds that does not sound like much of anything else, especially of its time. It's somehow both a bright sound, but with just a touch of distortion. And like, I, I, it's just, it's one of those songs where like the first, like, you know, the first three notes, you know what this is. Um, and, um, and like, I, 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 it is my, I mean, my favorite song on this album is Everlong, but I think My Hero is the best song on the album. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that, but. Yeah. Matt. Yeah, I, I don't I don't hear it. I'm I'm sorry. I had um, my microphone muted listening to you guys talk about it and um, was listening to it over and over. I I hear my hero and I hate you, Father Fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, it's bad moderating. Maybe color the conversation of, of the. Of the <laughs> it's fine. No, it's fine. What, what else? What else do you have to say about it that isn't about? Um. Ridiculous. Um. No, it, it's it's this this song to me really it really is it was one of my favorites and uh, that's all jokey aside it's one of my favorite songs um, it I don't know it just always seemed to speak to me personally just always I always liked it and I always felt like every time I heard it I was hearing it in some kind of a different way as to who it was about why you would be saying there goes my hero kind of a thing um, but yeah I just I, I don't know I love this song I, it's it's one of my one of my tops for sure um and i'm totally joking i can understand people having different different views and opinions on it and but to me it'll always just be listed as one of the favorites so and especially in every form of it i love like the acoustic versions if you can find him just sitting and playing them it's always it's incredible oh yeah um just kind of get some background on the song and like kind of what it means. There's, there's a few interpretations. Um, Grawl has said himself that it's just sort of about like, uh, he, he said that he didn't really grow up having like rock star heroes, and, but he always admired like normal everyday people who did heroic things. And that's sort of what the song is about. Some people have said like, uh, you know, when it initially came out, I was like, Oh, is this song about Kirk Cobain? Like, is he just sort of like, saying Kirk Cobain is his hero. That doesn't really make much sense to me, to be honest. Um, and some people have even said it's sort of about like, uh, kind of like a disillusionment about heroes when you kind of realize that the person that you idolize is just human, which also could have been, you know, how I probably thought about Kirk Cobain. But, and, and for some reason to me, 90% of the time always made me think about my dad. Like, oh yeah, he's, it's like, it's your hero, but you also see... Like it, to me, when I hear this song, it's like you see somebody who you want to idolize and they are your hero. But at the same time, you see them at all points in their life. So it's like you're saying it's like you see them as your hero, but also realize it's it's a person. It's a it's, it's like, yeah, there goes my hero. Just just watch as they go kind of a thing. Um, so it's like it always made me think of my dad kind of like he's the guy I want to be. But at the same time, it's like I realize he's human. He has his faults. I see it. But he'll always be you always have that. But there goes my hero kind of thing. Like no matter what, that's it's you always have like that, that that thing to it. That's what it always made me think. I'm just saying that's no, that's how, cool. How it spoke to me most of the time. 
Mm. Yeah. Also, uh, it, um, uh, like Chuck said, uh, used to market Varsity Blues heavily on MTV. <laughs> and also in constant rotation in the um, Marvel Superhero Island at Islands of Adventures, Universal Studios, Florida. Uh, so you'd like to know that. Uh, I, I was just trying to think if there's if there is a bad song about heroes, because um, like we've got we've got Mariah Carey's "Hero," which is a good song. We've got um, is it Donna Summer? Who's the one that does the "I Need a Hero"? Um, <laughs> that's a good song. Um, this is a good song. Um, isn't the theme song? Isn't the theme song for Smallville also about heroes? Is that called Heroes something? Well, I don't know. David no, Bowie's Heroes. Superman. Okay, David Bowie's Heroes. Great song. Anyway, in essence, my immortal. Doesn't have the word hero. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm looking up a lyric thing because I might have the answer to that. Let me see. Here. What if there's a bad thing? A bad song about heroes? Yeah. Um, to <laughs> me. Um, just some lyrics for you. Would you dance if I asked you to dance? Or would you run and never look back? Or would you cry if you saw me crying? <laughs> and would you save Iglesias. my soul tonight? I can be your oh, hero, baby. That's a I great song. I'll stand by you forever and take my breath away. Also a great song, objectively. <laughs> but would you dance? Well, I think that's a good question. But would you dance if I asked you to dance? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I would. You know I would. He's an attractive man. All right. Let's move on. See you. Can you can you just see the, like the theme, the theme of the theme of Avatar? Can you, I see can you, you. See my notes to this. My notes to listening to this album. This it, is what happened to me. Look at this. Like it's just it like, looks like the script for Dayman versus the Nightman from. I've like lost. I've lost my mind while, while I was writing stuff down during this. Sorry. Go ahead. Moving forward. Uh, see you. I, I think it's a fun song. Dave Grohl said it's it's one of his favorite songs on the album. Um, you know, it's just a little jaunty tune. Um, and, you know, I'm done resenting you. You represented me so well, and this I promise you. This I promise you. Uh, and sing song. How, uh, how could I end up in the hands of someone else? It's very much, you know, let's continue the thing about the, the tra transition between breaking up and falling in love with um, somebody with the last name Post, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> let's move on <laughs> let's get to see if it don't have space. enough space um enough space a, a song, you know, a song about his hard drive <laughs> <laughs> did they have it's, hard drives back in 1997 yes they did they, they involved a lot of ball bearings and <laughs> we're measured in kilobytes still enough space is about um one of his favorite movies called Arizona Dream, and it stars Johnny Depp and uh, uh, Vincent Gallo. Um, and um, oh, who's the actress in it? Crap. I don't know. Her name is Lily, and that's who he's referring to in the song. Um, it also used as sort of like a... Uh, he says he uses it to open up the tours, the, the, con the live concerts, as sort of like a... just to kind of get people pumped. Mm. That's sort of the purpose of the song. So let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Nobody has anything. I really like February Stars. This one surprised me. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was the one that, like, as I was listening to it, I kept like it kept I kept noticing it yeah. more. Like when he started getting into the the, the chorus. Yeah. 
um, I was like, oh, yeah, this is that February Star one. Good. You're in the same one. No, I was just going to yeah, like the song. I mean, I like the build up and I like the I like how it ends. I mean, I just I mean, it, it, it's one of those screamy to dreamy ones. Right. I mean, dreamy to screamy ones. But it's it's I, I, I feel like it's it it's overlooked. And I think it, it probably could have worked as a single off of off of this record. I think it's a really I think it's I think it's a solid song. I think pretty much I'll just go ahead and say that I think from this track all the way through the end of the album is pretty good. Yeah. I when I when I hear this song, I think of like uh, I feel like a lot of bands that kind of came out when we were in college that were sort of like writing that line between like oh we could be listened to by Christian audiences and mainstream audiences yeah. like like Lighthouse or something or <laughs> Lifehouse or like Switchfoot like I kind of feel like this is sort of this, this... <laughs> dare you to know. Um, um, but I, uh, you know, I, I like it, them. I should have made you listen to them for this. What Switchfoot? I love Switchfoot. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Legitimate band. Lord. Early um, it, it's definitely, definitely a one of those bands where it's like looking at a photo of yourself from a different area. Like, oh, what was I wearing that? Um, I love the. I, I think the outro is sort of what makes a song for me. Mm-hmm. From February starts. Yeah. Um, so I love it. Uh, Matthew, do you have anything you want to say about before we move on? No, I I really I love the song, but no, I don't really have anything to add as far as to the discussion. Okay, let's go. Let's so let's, we can, let's, skip, let's. We can probably skip the next one and go on to walking after you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really. To be honest, you know. I'm really familiar with this album. No. I always skip this one anyway. So now that that moderating right there, you just won me back, Father. <laughs> Welcome back to the family. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, nice. Yeah, let's hit it. Who wants to start us off on everyone? This is JP. JP, JP is the one who has said that he thinks this is like the greatest, like one of the greatest rock songs ever, ever, ever made. You said that last it, week. Absolutely. I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the pantheon. You know what I mean? If you go down from decade to decade, I think if you ask anybody in our generation, like, what's your favorite song? Like, take, take, take out your, take out the factor of like your favorite band or your favorite album, uh, you know, your favorite rock song or something. Most people will probably tell you Everlong. And if people listen to Everlong, like, oh God, this song is so good. Like, and, and that's just always been my experience. And what's kind of funny is that I always thought that Everlong was just my favorite song until I met Chuck and you're like, God, Everlong's one of the best songs ever. (laughs) I'm like, other people think this? Really? What? This is also kind of when I started to realize like other people love Foo Fighters and not just me. Mm. Um, And it always just kind of surprises me how much, how beloved this song is. Uh, uh, David Letterman loves this song. He says it's one of his all-time favorite songs, uh, and he loved it so much he actually had the song had the Foo Fighters perform the very last performance of the Tonight Show with David Letterman. Uh, this song over images of uh, history of the show. Um, it was used in Rachel and uh, in uh, in, uh, in uh, 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 Monica and Chandler's wedding. <laughs> Pretty significant. Really, I don't remember that. It was a symphonic version, but okay. <laughs> if you listen carefully, or maybe it was, was it? I don't know. Don't call me on that. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean this is just so like, like I said before, it puts me in a trance. This song, and it's like, 
I, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this and I alternate so much between like air drums and air guitar, which I don't really do in any other song. And just like the pre-chorus of And I Wonder leading up to that is like it just like it elevates me into heaven <laughs> um by the way just as a just as an addendum you are correct sir about uh chandler and monica's wedding was a violin rendition of everlong by foo fighters also my love by paul mccartney and wings and a groovy kind of love by phil collins oh well okay nice um i mean just it's not even like the lyrics the lyrics are great but the, what what he accomplishes with his guitar mm-hmm. in this, or I guess I guess you could say Pat Smear probably mostly, um, this is sort of phenomenal. And um, yeah, this is this is one of the this is one of my favorite songs I've ever learned to play on guitar, and I've forgotten. Oh, really? But um, but it is it is it is fun because all the different like parts like there's like so many different variations on strumming that you have to do in order to get it right. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're going to play it on an acoustic guitar. Um, and um, it's just, it's a, it, once you learn it, it's a really fun song to play on guitar. Um, I also, there's another one that I have very strong associations with the music video. Um, a Michael Gondry, yes. a Michael Gondry directed music Mi- video. M- Michelle Gondry, but. Michelle yeah. Gondry, whatever. Um, sorry, sorry. So Michelle Gondry's uh, music video, which um, features um, Taylor Hawkins in drag, which is pretty funny. Um, and, um, fighting in dreamscapes, kind of like inception, except involving really silly (laughs) things like inflating hands and stuff. A lot of homages to evil dead too. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a, it's a very fun video and it's a very good song and it's just very catchy. And it's one of those ones like I, here's what I think about JP. You made your comment about how you think you ask a lot of people and they'll say it's their favorite song. Maybe. I, I think it's, if I'm honest, I think it's one of those songs where, if you ask that question to most people, they're going to they're gonna name different things. But that if you play this song for them, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I love that song. That it's more one yeah. of those, like, they love it, but it's not one that they immediately call to mind. Okay. That's what I think. But, um, but that, doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that it is a great song um, and probably easily their most well-known song. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, kind of interesting tidbit behind the history of the song is uh, according to Taylor Hawkins that it wasn't a huge hit when it was initially released. Um, It sort of picked up steam after uh, Dave Grohl showed up on an episode of Howard Stern and um, he decided to play the acoustic version of the song. That's the first time the acoustic version has ever been recorded. Which is incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Incredible. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I actually can't decide which version I like more, like the studio version, or that version, because the the one on the Howard Stern show you can find it like anywhere. Um, but that is sort of when it started to become more popular. He started playing that sort of acoustic version that he recorded with Howard Stern during some of the live tours. People got really really into it, and. It just became a very playable song live, too. Like, you could do so many different variations of it. I've heard, like, a billion different versions of that song live, and they all sound amazing. Um, If you ever have time, my favorite rendition of it is when Foo Fighters performed very recently at the Wembley Stadium 
in England. Uh, look that up when you have time. It's incredible. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how it became popular is because of, it's actually because of the acoustic version that he recorded with Howard Stern. I, I really love the song too. I was a little caught off guard by JP's claim that everybody would list this if you took away their favorite bands. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think the way that Charles re- reframed it is, is helpful. I think I, that for me, that would be it. You know, it, it, as I said, no real history with Foo Fighters, but this song was in my head because I had listened to the radio. Um, I do I do like I think I have a soft spot for the sentiment of Everlong. I think one of the reasons that it works too is that it takes, it takes this sentiment of like, um, like I want to sing with you, I want to waste with you, and then puts it behind a hard charging uh, riff and and drum work, um, and so it ends up being this very sweet sentiment that's behind like a really dr- driving uh, musical choice, which I, I really like. I, I, I've, I've when we were trying to pick our. Um, first dance song for our wedding um we I, I really wanted michael to let me choose a fish a fish song called waste off of the billy breeze album <laughs> that is um kind of kind of, kind of a sweet song and the, the, the line is about um the lyric is about come waste your time with me like that's the the um the chorus and there's a little bit of that element here of, and, and i've often i've often said that part of what love is and i think the part of what how love manifests itself in our relationship with God as well in our prayer life is that we know that we're in love with somebody when we really just want to waste time with them. Like yeah. that we don't feel like we have to accomplish something with somebody um, that we can sit and be. And, and so much of our kind of modern prayer life is about that petition process of like, here's what I need and here's what I want and give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And that, real true kind of connection and relationship with God is, is no different than just saying, I'm going to sit with my the person that I'm in love with. It's just saying, I'm going to sit with the God that I'm in love with. Um, so anyway, I, I'm drawn to it. Even though you say, you say you don't really, aren't really drawn to the lyrics. I'm, I'm still, I'm still drawn to them. Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. I, I am drawn to the lyrics. I do <laughs> love the lyrics. I just think it's, it's the, the sound that sort of is what kind of like, uh, um, raptures me. Is that, <laughs> is that does that kind of capture what I'm trying to feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I think get it's raptured in, in raptured. I, I think the caught um, up in the air. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's one of these. It's 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 definitely a standout track on there in that the lyrics and the music are both interesting. And a lot of times in popular music, you get one or the other. You get interesting music with sort of empty filler lyrics, sort of like Coldplay's "Yellow." Which is a super popular song. It is completely meaningless and empty. Um, even even um, um, Chris, the lead singer, would say that that it's that yellow means nothing. He was asked that once, like, "What's the song about?" Oh, nothing. It just it sounded nice. Um, you know, this Everlong. You know, like, you know, you got to promise not to stop when I say when. Like, I love that. Lyric there's so, so much. much yes. m- there's so much to be divined out of that. And yeah. and so I, I, that's that's something I really. But again, also, it's a very technical song, and I don't think I appreciated how technical a song it was until I tried to teach myself to play it on guitar. Um, and that's just the guitar work. Um, and of course, I, I was I was drawn to that because I heard the acoustic version, and that's what I was trying to learn. Um, and so there's just there's there it, it's it's one of those. That's what makes it a really good song, just in its own right, is that it's these. You know, it's 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 a bunch of things coming together and working, 
um, where you don't get that a lot in a, in a lot of other popular rock, where it's one of it's you know it's one thing or the other. Um, and I think that's also what works with um, with both with all the singles on this. I think all three of the singles hit that in a very special way. I've been I've been looking at lyrics and all sorts of stuff while listening to you guys talk, um, and. This is just another one that again, it's just it's listed in there. It's this and Hero. Oh, they always go together. Always listed in my top songs. Um, I see what JP means by like. Again, I said this to me. Uh, Foo Fighters felt like my generation's rock music for the first time. So I would say that as far as as for me, this felt like the defining rock song. It doesn't necessarily. It's kind of like Sean Connery's James Bond. It doesn't necessarily mean I always say he's the best. But without him, we wouldn't have any of the other Bond performances that we have. So to me, he belongs in like his own category. That's kind of what the song is to me. I wouldn't always say when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, this is the best song ever. But it's always at the core of, of the other music that I like in here. And I think it's kind of the, the epitome of what we talked about earlier, where when it came out, it was incredible. And now we've heard a million things that, that this song is woven throughout. Um, and it's just so, so, yeah, I don't, I just... Love it. That's all. Can, can you do me an enormous favor, Matt, since you have your phone out? Mm-hmm. Can you um, look up real quick, either on YouTube or whatever's fastest, uh, Sonic Youth Schizophrenia? Sonic Youth Schizophrenia? Yeah. Usually when I when I think of this song, uh, I kind of try to think in context of, of the time it came out, 98 is sort of after like Oasis kind of hit big. And when I think of bands like Oasis or like um um what else is out that was kind of like like kind of like like Radiohead uh and some of the more like shoegazy rock like which song right, Sonic it. Youth was. Oh, okay. Just hit play on it and Can you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we gotta listen to that. You can stop there. Oh, we're gonna listen to the whole, all five minutes. Of- <laughs> um, See, I bring that because Dave Grohl has said like that is sort of the inception of the song. Like he says he would play that riff between takes when they were recording Monkey Wrench. He just kind of he just kind of playing around, and then like he would sort of jam out with Pat Smear. He sort of join in and stuff, and he said he thought. This is schizophrenia from Sonic Youth. He thought he was doing that, but he actually like something new kind of came out of it. It's like, no, this isn't. This is something new. This is something cool. And then uh, he told he told Gil Norton about. It. I was like, no, expand on that because that's that's a hit. That's gonna be a great. That's gonna be a great song. And so that's sort of a, the backup behind it. That's why I brought that up. All right. Are you- Ready to and, say goodbye to Everlong? Yes. And and for some reason, last thing, for some reason, this song always makes me think of the song Hemorrhage by Fuel. I don't know why those are lumped together in my head, but for some reason, always makes me think of that song. If somebody can figure out why, I'd be curious in knowing. I'm just amazed uh. that the band Fuel was mentioned on our podcast. <laughs> it's just one song, man. One song. You can. Yeah, that's how it gets started, else. huh? One song, and next thing you know. No, no, trust me. I've tried listening to them. Six Nickelback albums. Some Copper no, Road. Like, it's kind of like how you remind me by Nickelback. It's one song. They got one song. 
Go ahead. Just moving forward. All right. Uh, walking Just after start. you, the uh, the X Files yeah. song. What'd you say? The what song? The X Files song. The X Files song. Uh, featured on the X Files soundtrack for for the movie when it came out. Oh. In oh. fact, if you if you go to YouTube and you search for "Walking After You," you will find a ton of fan made music videos featuring Mulder and Scully <laughs> <laughs> with this song. Weird. <laughs> I like this song. Yeah, I would say out of all the ballads, this is the one I I really like the most. When wait, when this album was ninety seven, right? Yeah. 98 is when it was released. Okay. Which Keep going, when, sorry. I'm, I'm just thinking something. X-Files Fight the Future was released as well. Uh, it's a 20-year-old movie. Holy crap. I know. Um, Any other things to add about walking after you? What? It's an emotional, sappy song about getting dumped. Um, but it's also... I, I like... I actually kind of like the music video. Is it about, um, being, is it about getting high... Because he talks about being wrapped up in clouds, and when I listened to it, I thought, like, is he yeah. is he high? Is that like, is he high coping with loss? Is that what this is about? No, this is a very uh, wholesome band, Chuck. This isn't like those uh, those 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 renegades, Fleetwood Mac, all hopped up on cocaine, <laughs> singing about light 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 daddy. <laughs> I do have a, I do have a question. You can edit this out because I don't want to keep referring back the stupid dc talk episode but i just realized a huge coincidence here and i have to ask both albums 98 yeah um right. this song was legitimately used on an x-file soundtrack oh my god and dc talk came out with a song <laughs> entitled the truth is out there maybe there is truth to the rumor that they were trying to get a song on the x-file soundtrack along probably with this one <laughs> it all totally came full circle and makes sense now in my head yeah they, i mean they really could have been trying to get on that soundtrack yeah. the truth is out there is an excellent b-side to this song it's <laughs> i'm sorry but i realized that it, it all actually does make sense there <laughs> it, connects, it connects you just ruined my world my world just came crashing down around me um, because I don't know how to process the information of all these are tied together. And, uh, all right, so sorry, but I already I already talked about this song. I love the lyric in the way that they do the whole um, "I'm on your back" thing. Um, make it sound like they're singing "I'm on your side," but has that double meaning of like he he just won't get off their back. All right, we're ready to move on to yeah, moving on the next new album. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, uh, it's very much, you know, the end of the album. <laughs> um, it kind of sums up all the songs that kind of came before it about the pitfalls, the ups and downs, and just sort of the confidence that comes from, you know, completing a journey that everything's going to be okay and stuff. So that's that's sort of what I get from it. Honestly, I nice. guess. Like I said, every song from like every song from February Stars onward, like I, I I actually like really felt I engaged with. But for some reason, I cannot think of New Way Home. Like that, I can't think of that song. Like, how does it? Because Walking After You got my attention. I I can't think. Hold on, I gotta listen to it because I gotta. <laughs> we can cut this. I just gotta look at some Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. Decent Long song. Song on the album. Yeah, it is long. Six minutes, almost six minutes. 
Um, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. The the assault that is color in the shape. I I will say I felt above the color in the shape that as I listened to it, I felt it sounded like something that might have that might have been on like in utero, but if in utero had been properly produced. Because that's one of like the famous things about in utero is that it is like minimally produced. I and, hold on. And I didn't. I, felt, I didn't say anything about. Uh, sorry. Back it up on on New Way Home. Um, I, I, I what did stand out to me about that? Um, I did like the. It starts with almost the only way I can say it is it starts with almost a Beatles a Beatles esque sound to the vocals. Um, so he took that whole dreamy to screamy thing, but started with almost like a Beatles quality to it and took it to just uh, this weird intermission of music and then launches into just full on rock. Um, so I, I did like that, but it, it, um, it falls into like what you were saying with the other songs. It falls very much into their um, straightforward structure to the, to the song. But I, I did like the, the sound of their vocal, his vocals at the, the beginning of that, just kind of that tone and quality he put to it just instantly kind of had this almost Beatles-esque feel to the vocals, not the music, the vocals. Um, and I liked it. I, I did. But uh, other than that, that's all. I just felt like I needed to say something about okay. the Beatles. So go ahead. <laughs> of course. Back to what you were saying. I apologize. I'll be honest with you. Uh, that, that, uh, uh, the color and the shape, um, I actually don't remember that being on any of the albums I owned. Um, I didn't, so I didn't listen to it. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I don't think I've actually listened to it at all, to be honest. Um, um you, so I have, I have the, the album is titled the, album. the color and the shape. So the song yeah, had to be on there. Yeah. Well, the color a... and shape comes from, a. I mean, there's an anecdote behind that, but go ahead. Matt. I do have, I do have a question for, especially I, Chuck. I don't know if father fun where you fully fall into this, but Chuck is the, the big, like the album guy. You, you get the album, you listen to the actual album, you know, um, is it normal for the title track to be the final song on the album? That seemed, I don't, I just don't remember that being a normal thing. And does it mean anything here? Why they placed the title track at the end? I mean, I would think an album arranging, if you, if you're going to do that, you're doing that as it's a summary statement of, of what all's going on and sort of gives definition to the title. But I mean, that's all up to the producer and everybody who, when they work on this stuff and, and come with it. I'm, I'm actually curious, but you said there's an anecdote behind the title, the color and the shape, and I don't know that. So what is, what is the anecdote? They have, uh, uh, I think it was their touring manager. Um, I forgot his name, but he would just like, he would, while they toured, this guy would go into uh, thrift shops and buy weird things. Like I, there's some kind of story about him buying like a Jesus lamp and like putting it on a dressing room, just leaving it there. Um, while they were touring, he went into one of these thrift shops and he, and he saw, and he found a, a bowling pin and uh, he brought into their dressing room and, or the green room, I guess, whatever. And he just like, put it down on the table and Dave was like, why, why did you bring us a bowling pin? And he's like, I don't know. I just like the color and the shape. He said, that's, that's the reason why they call the album, the color and the shape. I think I could divine a lot of meaning out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, like, like, like what, what what do you, uh, well, that, that, that the album is named after like 
the guy who went and just bought a random thing and he only bought it because he liked the color and the shape of it like that. And that's sort of like a testament to sort of what the album is. Right. I mean, it's just sort of, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's sort of like a lot of people, I would guess, like it because they like the color and the shape of the album, not because it says anything big, not because it makes any kind of big statement, not anything like that. It's just, it is, it is, it is aesthetically pleasing to the subject who listens to it and enjoys it. Yeah. I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually, I, I mean, I'm looking at Wikipedia. It looks like the color and shape, the actual song is a, is an iTunes bonus track. Oh, interesting. So if you, I guess if you guess, if you guys listen to it, iTunes, that's probably why it popped up on there. Oh, wait, so it really wasn't on the CD. No, it's not Weird. the original. Okay. Cause I listened to it on Google play. Weird. I listened to it on Amazon music and it was right there. Yeah. So it might be just like a streaming bonus, I guess. Hmm. Um, interesting. Interesting. Because it's not in the original track listing. Well, that probably sounds. That probably explains why it sounds so like different than right. a lot of the other songs. Because it is way more aggressive, right? Than it's almost everything else on the record. Well, final thoughts. Um, I would. I'll, I'll start since I was the most antagonistic, and Charles has something to say. Um, <laughs> I again, like, I'm, I'm really happy to have listened to the album, and I I think that I will take the um, the hits with me as I go forward. I don't know if I'll ever need to listen to the full album again, but, um, but I've appreciated the conversation and I always want to hear what my friends love. So thank you. Matt, final thoughts. Yeah. Um, I'm good to go next because I'm, I'm, I'm the horrible music speaker. I don't have fun, fancy things to say about it. I'll just say, I love, I love the album. Um, and I am a huge, I'm not JP level, but I am a huge Foo Fighters fan, but I can also appreciate and agree with, I don't know how often I'll sit down and listen to the album from start to finish. Um, but I, I do love it. And of course the hits on it for me are just a, a whole different level as far as, um, where they fit in my life and how, like I said, they show up on every playlist I've ever made, I think has at least one of these songs on it somewhere. I can understand it is a, it is a product of uh, a time that music has changed a lot since then and has changed a lot because of in some ways. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to see two people who are experiencing it from today's point of view, as opposed to when it came out. So I've actually appreciated that way as much as we've joked about it and I'll never speak to the two of you ever again. Um, I very much have, I, I've thought that was a very interesting uh, view we got into um, Foo Fighters and how they kind of fit into music is, were you there for it when it was the groundbreaking thing or now when you've had all the influence that's followed? Charles, why don't you do your final thoughts on the album and then we'll swing back to you after JP does his final thoughts. All right. So my final thoughts are um, it was it was good to go back to this and and, and to and to revisit it. Um, it it's of course also just in, in in terms of our podcast. It's it's fun to this is like one of the I think this is one of the first things we've talked about in this podcast where we've had some pretty like you know different opinions of like we, we can talk about politics and religion and we've become less hostile than we did on this episode <laughs> <laughs> talking about food fighters i didn't depict hostility um hostile but uh, <laughs> mad online i'm reminded of how good the singles of this record are and how i i you know i will probably i'll probably listen to hero as soon as like my hero as soon as we get off this because i just that's such a good song um, and, um, and I, and it's just, you know, it just sits with me now, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, the, 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 the singles are such, 
are such shining examples. And I think it's one of those things where um, it they stand out so much that it's hard for me to pay attention to a lot of the other tracks on there because they are they are just that good that they are to me just such a cut above the rest of what's on the album. Um, but I also think it's one. But I also acknowledge that it's one of those things where it has to do with how what context we're in when we came in, when we when we approached this stuff and how we consumed this in the time period in which we did. And it honestly kind of makes me wish that I had paid more attention to this when I was a teenager um, because I think I would appreciate it more. Um, and so, like, I want to appreciate it more than I do now. Um, and, um, and I'm with Patrick, too. Like, I, you know, JP, I'm glad, we, I'm glad you picked a Foo Fighters album because, you know, I've known you for a long time, and I've known that you've liked the Foo Fighters for a long time, and but I've never really had an opportunity for you to wax poetic on why you love the Foo Fighters. You've talked to me way more about why you like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana than I've heard you talk about Foo Fighters. So this was a cool opportunity for me um, in, in, in our friendship to know why you love something. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And yeah, I hope that you, you are gracious. Me. And I hope you're gracious with my with my feelings on this and understand that I'm not like like. I'm not looking at this the way that I looked at Supernatural. Um, <laughs> that instead I'm looking at this as like, I'm trying to give like a very like honest, you know, and recognizing my own current biases and circumstances which affect my ability on this thing. And like, I'm not saying that it's bad because I don't think it's bad. Um, it's just, I don't think, I, I feel like I was just not granted. Here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do, JP. Blame the, blame the fundamentalists because I wasn't allowed <laughs> to listen to this thing when it came out. And so, therefore, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't empowered to appreciate it. So blame I'm always the fundamentalists. blaming the fundamentalists. Let's blame let's, them. Let's 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 blame the fundamentalists together, Chuck. Okay. And and we'll 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 listen to Monkey Wrench, and <laughs> that'll be our, our our anthem to blaming the fundamentalists. Yes, we want to be the evangel the event the the, the, the fundamentalist Monkey Wrench. <laughs> there we go. Something I don't know. Reclaim Jesus. <laughs> now I'm free. Um, All right. So my, uh, yo, yeah. go ahead. No. So my final thoughts. Uh, so I'm going to bring up two figures that I think of whenever I, I, I think of this album. I think about Dave Grawl. One is J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Everyone's giving me the worst looks right now. <laughs> I, I just want to know where personally, you're going with this, man. Personally, I'm on board now. I'm on, Tell me where you're going. I'm on, we should hang up and let him talk for the next three hours. <laughs> Which he just went all the way back to Tolkien. <laughs> first of all, I, well, I mean, I learned this from Father Chuck. So, uh, but first of all, I also just want to appreciate that um, Matt Wells brought up uh, Citizen Kane. Uh, thank you. I, I'm very proud of you, by the way that you're listening to that podcast with uh, Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson and listen to the Citizen Kane episode. And you brought it up in relation to color and shape. I really appreciate that. Now, on to J.R.R. Tolkien. Go ahead. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Uh, so I think of Tolkien, and I think of like how people, people are very interested in figuring out why he did what he did and how he came up with these ideas. And there are so many different variations of, like, why he did it, why he did Lord of the Rings, why he made it, The Hobbit. And um, the one that always sticks out to me the most 
And I know, you know, Chuck, you've talked about like, you know, Tolkien did it because he, he wanted to invent a language and he wanted to have stories to express that. That's one variation I've heard. Other variations I've heard are like, you know, he wanted to write something for his children, blah, blah, blah. But the one that sticks out to me and the one that, were, that makes me think about Colin and Shape is he just saw a gap and he wanted to fill it. He just was pursuing, he was following his bliss. Um, I read some letter two days ago that he wrote, um, I think it was to a fan or something. It might've been, it might be in that book, the letters to the fans, but he just talks about how like, uh, this is an interest of mine and I wanted to pursue it. Nobody else was doing it. And it, I thought it would be fun. That's what I think of when I think of this album. That's also what I think when I think of Dave Grawl, you know, you, I've heard so many interviews with him and about like how he does his process, how he comes up with songs. What does this song mean? And, you know, what really sticks out to me in his sort of kind of biography is that, like, when he first started out um, learning how to make music before he could own an instrument, before he had any money to own an instrument, he's like, I would just get all these pillows around me and I get two drumsticks and I would just bang on them and I would sing about my dog. And he's like, that process has never changed. And to me, and, you know, Chuck, you said there's not much meaning behind the color and shape. And, and like I said, I, I don't disagree with that. And I, and I think that even though it is sort of about the breakup of the emotional roller coaster is going on, I do think largely it is just something he wanted to do. He sought out to make a slick rock album. And I think that just sort of sums up who he is. Like he does this because he really is just following his bliss. He really is just he sees a place in the landscape and he just wants to be there and he just wants to do it. You know, he's not like Kirk Cobain. He's not trying to change the world. He's not trying to like, um, you know, he, he's, he's not, he's not a, a, an iconoclast. And, but I think, I think that's fine. And I think he's okay with not, with not, with not being that person. And he, and even despite all that, he's still able to make incredible music. Um, Another person that he kind of makes me think of is James Cameron, which is why I kind of laughed when you brought up Avatar when we talked about CU. Mm. <laughs> and that James Cameron is, when he is sort of writing his scripts and stuff, it's like he's not really kind of like feeling to be, he just kind of knows where, where everything goes. You know what I mean? Like Titanic is, Titanic hits all those notes as far as romances go and it works but it wasn't like something that he, he wasn't just like expressing his soul or anything, but it's like, he just kind of knew where everything had, where everything had to go. He's a very technical director and, you know, he knows the camera inside and out. He knows how to work every single thing on set. That's, that's sort of like how he became who he is. And I think of the same thing about Dave Grohl. You know, he knows how to play the drums. He knows how to play uh, guitar. He knows how to play bass. He knows how to do vocals. He could do that all by himself as, as proven by the first album, which I'm starting to learn. Maybe I should have chosen that album for this, his debut. Because I think maybe that sort of have more like interesting story behind it, um, because of the whole thing by himself. So yeah, that's and that's what I think about Dave Grohl, and and also why I like him so much. And 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 it's always been sort of a struggle when people ask me like, JP, who's your favorite band? Who's your favorite performer? And like, I, I do want to say Nirvana. I do want to say Kurt Cobain. But I think Nirvana is so legendary. Kurt Cobain is so legendary. It's sort of like he definitely was saying, had like an exact message, an exact thing he wanted to say, an exact way that he wanted the world to remember him. Um, I can't always associate myself with that. When I think of Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters, I think of just like, just a guy who wanted to make 
rock music and like the best possible rock music he, he could make. And um, that's why I love him. I've, Go I've got I've got a hot take and it may okay. ruin our friendship. Um, oh, but I think now hear me out because you're going to get upset. But hear me out because I'm going to defend this because I'm not saying that it's I got it's going to make sense. All I right? mentioned Avatar. Here it comes. No, 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 no. It has absolutely nothing to do with Avatar. <laughs> I think that Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters is kind of the Adam Sandler movies of music. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. Wow, okay. At, here's why I say this. Because what Adam Sandler, because I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about what Adam Sandler is trying to accomplish with the movies that he makes, right? It's well known now that, Matt, that Adam Sandler has figured out this, like, not only because they're both Gen X people, and this is a, sort of a Gen X thing why I'm talking about this, but it's also that Adam Sandler has figured out this like magic formula, like a form, but it's a magic thing where basically he makes movies because he wants to make the movies he wants to make. He's not trying to make any kind of major artistic statement. He's not trying to advance the cause of comedy. He's not trying to like pave new ground cinematically or anything like that. Adam Sandler is simply getting paid by Sony or whatever to, to, to have the kind of fun that he wants to have and he captures it on film and people go to it. They buy it, they see it, they enjoy it. My cousins and other people that, that in my life that I know really love, they'll go see everything the man makes, because, and they like it, and, and they enjoy it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Okay, but you could say the same thing about Steven Spielberg, and it's much nicer. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Because actually, I, I'll accept that, because that, make, that, that actually makes much more sense. Because, because, yeah, you could argue that... Well, I know Adam Sandler's got his things, right? He's got punch oh, across love. He's got... He's got a few things that are like uh, actually legitimately hey, like great, um, but okay, fine. Steven Spielberg. He's the, the Steven Spielberg. <laughs> at least journeyman. Everybody. <laughs> at least we can all agree that Foo Fighters is not the Tron legacy of Hollywood. <laughs> so uh, there's not, something. Whoever directed that movie. Uh, you're trying to bait me on this. The thing is, I know that Tron legacy is not good, and I still like it. <laughs> I love you, JP. I love you. And that's why I said, like, I don't like, but that's my hot take. And again, I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that approach. But I think that, I think that hits, and I think, it's, and I think it's a perfect Gen X encapsulation because Generation X is largely a gap generation. They are, and, and it, is, it is their unfortunate lot in life that they have to be transitory. And I think that yeah. that's, and, and that, that and they're and like, totally useless. Well, I, I wouldn't say they're useless, but like, cause, <laughs> because transition is, in fact, the most useful function. <clears throat> right. It's, but it's also the thing that doesn't get celebrated enough. For instance, The White Stripes is a band that is like, heralded as like, you know, some great pushing the bound of rock music. I've got to be honest with you. I think they're super overrated anymore. And I've been a White Stripes fan. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, just, it's, it's, it's blues with distortion. Done. Okay, great. Um, I don't see why that is suddenly like the greatest thing that's ever happened to music, right? So, right. so, but again, like I think this, this fact that Foo Fighters hits this transitory phase is very indicative of their generation, very indicative of, of, of just a number of things. And again, like critically, like the critics, they're, they're, gonna, they're not gonna like it. They're not gonna say that this is paving new ground. But, and that's okay. It's okay to like it if the critics don't like it. And as we've, we've seen over and over, a lot of the critics are wrong because they're coming from a paradigm and new things don't fit paradigms. Um, or they or just have their own subjective baggage they're bringing to it. They that too. They really want to admit anyway. That too. And so, like, so Foo Fighters produces perfectly, like, perfectly agreeable pop rock music. 
and it sounds like when when you think of the definition of modern rock, what does modern yeah. rock sound like? You would say Foo Fighters. Right, and that that's is, what I'm trying to. And that is an accomplishment. Say. So anyway, that's that's I've, I've made my point. I've said my hot take. I've made my point. <laughs> okay. And, and I think that people would hear that as a bad thing, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Okay. You just can't think of any other filmmaker. I understand. <laughs> I could help you with that, but some other time. <laughs> All right. That is going to conclude it for our color and the shape, uh, the color and the shape conversation. Uh, wanted to throw it <laughs> quickly, the end please. To Charles, who had something to say to sum this up. Yeah. So, summing up Music Mayhem, I realized as we were talking about this that every record that we have picked for Music Mayhem has involved failure of relationships and failure in relationships. Mm. Every piece of, from, from Rumors to DC Talk, which is their last album before they broke up, and you can clearly tell that they're, you know, and, it, and, the, and their failure of relationship in being representatives of, 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 of God and pop culture, blah, 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 all that. And then, of course, um, Hamilton, which deals with the failure of his relationships with his, with his family and with the other founders and all that kind of stuff, um, and, the, and the place that it puts him. And also... Um, and then also this, which deals with the, you know, a breakup, a divorce, yeah. all of that. So they've all had this through line through there, yeah. um, dealing with, with the struggles of, of tension and complexity in relationship. I'm just fascinated by that. Yeah, because someday people will go through all the episodes we've recorded and they will see this episode as when we broke up and we and we failed and we, we left because Yoko came in. we are split 50-50 and we're not speaking with each other anymore. So it's nah, a very man. fitting way to end. Guys, it's been a good run. Uh, <laughs> you, we uh, almost got to 100. We almost got Chuck, to Chuck can run off with his Yoko Ono and JP and I will try desperately to hold the band together for a while until we hate each other and then we'll break up and... I'll go solo and be famous, and the rest of you will be those people who let me go. And I'm, I'm okay with that. performing gigs so. in Vegas. It's all right. <laughs> hey, occasional, look, man. Occasional appearances on The Simpsons. Look, guys, I've, this is, I'm glad that Jay, Matt's making this, 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 this reference because I, I was feeling last week after our episode, I was like, you know, this, is like, this feels like being in a band in a lot of ways. And, <laughs> yeah. and I've, been, I've been in two bands, and I've got to say that, you know, it's, um, I, I would pick no better people to be on, on this journey with than, than you guys. So that's, that's sweet, but that desperate attempt won't hold us together. So. <laughs> I'm not, man. I'm not, I mean. <laughs> Matt is not in a yes ending so, mood today. <laughs> yeah. No, there will be no yes ending. You can go run <laughs> off with Father Fun, our band's light guy, um, and <laughs> I'll call it a day. <laughs> Funston's light daddy. That's funny. <laughs> Funston, have you listened to the rumors episode yet? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that'll make a lot more sense when you do. <laughs> so. All right. This has been Masters of Divinity. I have been your moderator, Patrick Funston, Father Fun. Everybody, sign off. Uh, and, you know, I just want to say real quick uh, 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 good work. Uh, nice, nice moderating, Father Fun. You did a good job. So, uh, uh, yeah, this is JP saying good journey. Yes. Oh, and you yes, got thank to commit you. Up. I see you. Uh, and good journey for me. I just said I see you in Navi. Never mind. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. Somebody hit end up the recording, please. Be done. <laughs>